Hello and welcome to the Rethink Missions podcast. Stories and lessons from frontier missionaries to unreached people groups. If you are a church planter, aspiring church planter, or missions-minded believer, this podcast will challenge your thinking and encourage your heart. Here's your host, Jeremy Wardlow. Welcome to the first ever Rethink Missions podcast. In this podcast, we're going to hear from church planters in the field um, who have gone there before us, who have planted churches, uh, translated Bibles into unreached languages and people groups, and we want to hear their stories, hear how God has worked through their lives, and learn from what they have done. Um, and so, yeah, our first guest here is Mr. Jungle. That's his alias because the context he works in is sensitive. And so we don't want to put the church that he's working with in jeopardy just because of this podcast. Um, so Mr. Jungle, welcome. And, uh, we want to hear how did, uh, how unreached was the people group you were working with? Paint the scene for us. Well, it's truly a privilege to be able to be here and share with you the privilege that we've had in participating with God in seeing some of the unreached reached with the gospel. The particular situation that we were involved in, uh, there were missionaries who had already gone there previously, had done a lot of the, the foundational work. However, there wasn't a thriving body of believers. As far as we know, there probably weren't any believers there, maybe maybe a couple, but for the most part, they were unreached and really had no concept of who God is, what God has done in this world. Their whole worldview uh, was completely different from the biblical worldview. Okay, so how isolated were they? Were, you know, were they in a town or? No, these, uh, this particular people group that we work with, and, and I'll refer to them as the Vine Village. They lived in, uh, in a valley area. Actually, it was quite a large valley because there were mountains all around. There were numerous villages in the, uh, the surrounding area, probably close to 20 or more, and none of them had ever heard the gospel, and there were no uh, towns in the area, and they were very, very remote. They relied upon uh, the jungle for all of their their personal needs, and so they were very remote indeed. Okay, so... Can you give us a taste of their language? I imagine it's quite a bit different from English. Can can we hear just a little snippet? Well, th- that's that's a really interesting point because when you do go into a new area, you have to learn their language and their worldview. To think that we're going to go in and and speak English to them, or even let's say the national language of a of a particular country and be able to reach them through that we are we are being very deceived if we think we can do that we have to actually learn their worldview 
learn their heart language, the one that they communicate in on a daily basis. And this people group that we worked with, uh, of course, their language was totally different from the national language, totally different from English or French or German. And uh, I'll just give you a little little story, uh, how how it's spoken in their particular language. Let's say they're they're going fishing or they're telling a fishing story, and here's how it would go. Yahuma, Wow, that's that's beautiful. Yeah, it is. I, I'm convinced this language is the language that's spoken in heaven. <laughs> right. Uh, at least, at least now it is. Right. Yes. Um. Yeah. That's so. That's the next point, right? So they they went from unreached. To now, today, that you, there's a church there? Yes, there is. Okay. So there's, how did that happen? How, very good point. And as, as you have rightly said, how did that happen? It involves, of course, spending years learning the language, learning the worldview. Because if you don't, even if you, let's say, learn the language, but you don't understand their worldview— the way you communicate the gospel will still be through a Western grid. So you have to understand their grid, whether it's a, it's a Muslim grid, whether it's a Hindu grid, whether it's a, an animistic grid. We have to understand their grid, not to modify the message, but so that the message can penetrate that grid without being distorted. Sometimes people erroneously think that we study culture, study worldview, so that we can massage the message and make it palatable to the existing worldview. That's actually not the objective. The objective of studying the worldview is so that you know how to present these biblical truths and you know how to how to present them in such a way that they penetrate the culture and that they're not modified by the culture or they're not also um, rejected by the culture right out just because you haven't done your homework. So it really does involve years of language study and worldview analysis so that you can communicate clearly. It sounds to me like you could have a context in which you have a fluent, where you're fluent in the language, and uh, maybe you've even translated some scripture, and you've presented it to people, and you think they've understood something, but they haven't. At the end, there is no gospel there, and that, wow, that's... There's no clarity of the gospel. You're, okay. you're right. Yeah. You're absolutely right. 
And one of the kind of the models that we go by is that you have to, first of all, you have to understand the gospel with purity, understand the purity of the gospel without all kinds of distortions that might might even come from our Western culture. Then you have to communicate it with clarity. You have to communicate it not with just clarity for me, it's clarity for the hearer. And you also have to communicate it consistently. And you're absolutely right. A person could learn the language. Let's let's just say you came from New York City. You're you're headed off to some African country and, and you've decided to work with a particular people group. And you've come from New York, you've done you go in there, you you learn the language, but you haven't understood the worldview. When you communicate in that particular language, you, by default, will be communicating to a New Yorker's worldview, but using the indigenous language. How well do you think that's going to work? If I'm actually communicating as if I were talking to a New Yorker rather than an indigenous person that is way out in the middle of Africa, we cannot just assume that that having uh, having surpassed let's say the language barrier we're already there we have to understand the worldview so that we actually communicate to their hearts yeah i mean what you're saying is gold and it's making me think of like the matrix where you don't even realize that your your worldview controls how you communicate and you think oh the language that's the biggest barrier but even maybe bigger is my grid and how i see everything and wow um so that's awesome okay so eventually you understood their grid and obviously you knew the gospel and communicated that clearly tell us some stories of how different people understood the gospel for the first time in their language. I remember a particular shaman, and whether, whether or not it's in, in Africa, Middle East, or South America, the shaman are ones who quite often are they, they're the healers of the village. They're the ones who know how to communicate uh, with the spirit realm. And so they are very, very highly esteemed. And this particular one, um, I'll call him Lenny. And uh, Lenny, he came, he came from a very distant village that was actually in the middle of warfare. There were other villages that had attacked their village, killed many of them. Him and his family and his brother, they had fled from the attacking forces and had systematically moved down into the valley area that we were living in. And I remember when we started teaching, they had already been there uh, for a couple of years. And it was, it was interesting because Lenny, as we had, we started teaching and, and incidentally, we did start in Genesis. And as we were talking about creation, Man, he, he would just keep standing up. He goes, man, this has got to be the truth. 
He says, for years as a shaman, I would go out into the jungle and I would look at the fruit. I would look at the, at the creation and wonder, how did this really come into being? He had never heard about God. He was isolated. And yet he, he said what he used to think was this. He said, I know what my forefathers have told me, but something doesn't ring true. What is the truth? He said, I used to bite into the fruit and just think, this is so good. How did it really come to pass? And then when he heard us doing the teaching and starting in, in Genesis with creation, he, he stood up and he goes, that's the truth. Now I know what the truth is. And that was so exciting to see him. And and through the weeks and months as we did ongoing evangelism, man, his 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 belief in the word of God continued to grow. He wasn't saved yet, but he was he was believing what he was hearing all along the way. And finally when we got got to the cross, it was he actually didn't make a whole lot of outward manifestation. I remember we were teaching there, explaining uh, what Jesus had done, his substitutionary death on the cross for all of us. And he was he was there nodding and agreeing, but uh, he, he really didn't have a real open manifestation. And I, I remember after, after that uh, last session that we had presented the gospel, and uh, going home, and I had chatted with different people, different of, uh, of the village who had listened. And I, I was just wondering, I wonder who's actually believing the gospel? Well, the next morning, when we came again, because we were teaching consecutively, he stood up right away. He says, you know what? Yesterday, I heard what Jesus did on the cross for me. That is the truth. He says, I took all of my my shaman paraphernalia, I took all of that and I burnt it last night. Why? Because I know that this God is the true God and I know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me and that's who I'm believing in. I never told him to take everything and burn it. I just presented to him the gospel and what Jesus had done. And it was it was fascinating to see him just stand up in the middle of the meeting and make this declaration to everyone. Wow, that is, what a story, right? So you said the next day he yes. burnt, and how, what's the value of, to, in their in their culture and worldview, what's the value of his shamanism and the stuff, and the, even just the material that comes with that position? Okay, good question. Um, probably in terms of value of the items, the items, as far as a monetary type value, they wouldn't hold a great monetary value to, to anyone other than himself. But the value is in that, for instance, his, his, um, the drugs and the paraphernalia that he uses, is for contact with specific spirits that he has been cultivating. So in his mind, in his world view, all of his chantings, all of his singings, and the stuff that he wears, and even his paint, 
and some of the the drug-induced chants that they do, they're particularly designed to enter into contact with specific spirits, sing their songs, and make these spirits amiable towards them and help these spirits also to grow. They believe they can make the spirits grow and become uh, amiable towards them so that when they need them to protect their farms, to protect their children, to heal the sick, uh, to give good luck in hunting, then those spirits will be there for them. So by the very fact that he took all of that and burned it, it was a immediate rejection of everything that he had been cultivating in his whole life as a shaman, which had been probably 15, 20 years. So it, it was a dramatic and immediate cut wow. from all of that. Yeah. What an awesome story. And you said, I mean, this you started in Genesis, and right, right from the beginning, he was starting to, you know, believe the gospel. Well, not the gospel at that point. It's just he was starting to accept the word of God as true. Um, now, what's the benefit in starting so early? What, like that. Another good point. Another good point. Um, when when you come into a worldview in which their understanding of the spirit realm, of creation, of who man is, uh, what our eternal destiny is, when all of that is counter-biblical, you have to start somewhere by laying the foundation. For instance, this particular people group had no particular creator God that had created all things and was the owner of all things. They had multiple different deities or heroes who had created different parts of creation and had different influences upon their lives. So by starting, and and here's the beauty of the Word of God. The Word of God, you open your Bible, take your Bible, open it, to the first book of the Bible. What is it? It's Genesis. And Genesis is what? The beginnings. It's the beginning of where this world came from, who God is. It's even the beginning of where sin came from. It's the beginning of, of God's redemptive plan. It's all found in Genesis. And uh, so the benefit of starting there is you're laying these foundations that are going to make the give the background so that the gospel makes sense so that they know there is a creator god who is over all things he is holy and he's just and yes he does punish sin but he's also a gracious and a loving god who always provides a way of salvation for those who will humbly come to him in faith yeah that's amazing um, and, and it makes sense, right? And yeah. even w- what does Romans say about what he experienced, right? What, what is that verse in Romans about nature? Oh, yeah. E- even through nature, uh, we can see who what the Godhead is, is God's like. Invisible yeah, qualities. his invisible attributes, absolutely. And as soon as he heard the, the word of God explaining where all this came from, it made sense because yes. all the while nature really had been a testimony that there is a God, but yeah. he hadn't heard 
He hadn't put it together yet. Yeah. That's absolutely right. And and here's the beauty of starting in Genesis, because they're starting to believe who this God is. No, that their faith isn't a, a, a faith yet that, let, let's say, is in the gospel. But when you present God, God as creator, he is the creator owner of all things, and they start to believe that, that starts to impact their lives. And then you, you show, even in Genesis, that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's omnipotent. For him to create all things was no effort whatsoever. They start to get a fear of God, even back in Genesis. And then when they see how God deals with sin, that starts to create within their hearts. If God dealt with sin with Adam and Eve in that way, how is he going to deal with my sin? And they see how God deals with sin as it relates to the time of Noah. Those who rejected God's offer of salvation, were they saved? No, there was no hope for them. So as we're going through, we're showing the nature of God. And all along the way, showing how God is always offering his gracious provision of salvation. And they're, they're, they're seeing these two themes developing through Scripture. God is holy, he's just, yes, he's going to judge sin. But God is gracious, loving, kind, and merciful. He always provides a way of salvation. And always that link for man to enjoy what God is providing, he has to come by faith. So you mentioned earlier about, you know, having to present things with their grid in mind, right? So, so far what you've mentioned is Bible verses, um, no particular emphasis with their grid in mind. Uh, could you kind of elaborate? What did you have to emphasize that would be different from, from, our, from our worldview, North American worldview? Absolutely. Very, very good point. And that, that'll take us back into creation. Uh, this particular village, the Vine Village, and the people group that they're with, they believed that the vast majority of animals were first men. They were first people. And so these people then had broken certain taboos, and they had become these animals. So in their minds, people came before animals. And in their minds, they, they believe back in the beginning, it was always light. And that one of the people went out, one of the hunters went out, and they actually shot a particular bird that was the bird of darkness. And when they shot this bird of darkness, the bird fell to the ground, and that's when darkness started. So you can see, even from those few illustrations... When you start teaching in Genesis, you're going to have to emphasize particular things. So Genesis starts off. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. So we, we spent particular amount of time 
emphasizing that the sun did not exist, the moon did not exist, the stars didn't exist, there weren't fires anywhere. And it was darkness that was over the face of the deep. And uh, you have to make that particular emphasis in their culture because they believe in the beginning it was always light. And so you're contrasting through your teaching what the Bible really says. And so, so for instance, as, as we're going through teaching on creation, and of course in creation the birds, the fish, and the animals come before mankind. And as you're teaching those things, you're having to emphasize, look at God created these fish. There were no, no people around. There were no village. The vine village did not exist. People in, in my home country did not exist. There was nothing. There was no people anywhere. And God made these fish before there was anyone. And then you're doing the, the exact same thing with the birds and the animals. Because you already know the stories that they have of how these birds, animals, and fish came into being. So you're preempting it through teaching. If you don't, because many people groups have no problem compartmentalizing things, they could easily come away with, even understanding what you're saying, they could easily come away with, well, these animals over here were created the way the Bible says, but we have our own story over here, and both are true. That's true for you over in your land. This is true for us here in our land. So by knowing those things, you're having to go in there and very intentionally show them that back in creation, in Genesis 1 to 3, the animals that you know here, all of them came into being at that time. There was none of them came into being from humans turning into animals. So you're all along the way, you're teaching, you're building this foundation so that they see God as creator of all things everywhere. And since he's the creator of all things everywhere, he is the owner and he has the right to tell us what is right and wrong because he is creator owner. So let me explain what you said in, in, my, in the way I understand it. So you had to stress sort these th things in creation and stress that this is the God, not of just the local area where I'm from, but the God of all area, even where they're from. Exactly. And you had to do that because other if you don't, then once you get to the gospel, that could be a local gospel as well. Exactly. That's how you're saved in your land, but that's not how it works here. Is that Ex what you're saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you, you knocked it out of the park. You should be doing what I'm doing here. <laughs> no, no. I'm, uh, I want to eventually <laughs> to be able to be in your shoes. That's, that's the hope. Um, okay. So there, there's an example of what you had to stress in their worldview. And, um, maybe you could give us another story of how you gave us one of, um, Lenny how he believed the gospel right 
in Genesis. Could you give us another story? Okay, here's here's a, another one, alias again for, for him. I'll call him Polly, Lenny and Polly. The, this, uh, this young man, he sat through our, our teaching. We were teaching from Genesis, going through, laying the, these foundations, and got to the cross. He was understanding. And I, I had regular communication with him. It, and it was over a process of, of months, actually, that we're doing the teaching. And, and he was faithful to listen. But, and he understood because in my questioning of him, he was able to give the right answers. But he said it wasn't, wasn't for him. And shortly after we had gotten to the cross and presented Christ uh, as the solution to our sin problem, Polly, he decided he was going to go uh, with a group of, of other villagers who were going to another village. And it was actually about a five-day walk uh, through jungle and, and very remote areas. So as as they're walking through these jungles, um, they get around the third day out. Some of the older men warned all the young guys, saying, and he was a younger guy. He was in his early 20s, saying, this area of the jungle is known for uh, huge, huge uh, wild cats, uh, jaguars, wild cats. They warn them that they should not go anywhere, even down fishing to the creek alone. They needed to always be accompanied by at least one or two other other guys in, in order to defend one another. Well, of course, Polly, being the, the young, strong guy that he was, he was convinced uh, that, you know, if he was jumped by a, by a big animal, he'd be able to defend himself. So he goes down and the stream is kind of kind of low the banks are are a bit high and so he's he's down uh near the stream bottom there's there's some high banks coming out to the side and he's sitting down there close to the stream it's a, it's actually a small river and he's baiting his hook throwing out catching a couple of fish and the fishing's good and then all of a sudden he hears this crack. He turns around just in time to see a big jaguar in midair. And what what had happened is the jaguar had come out on a pole, and it was actually rotten that was hanging over over the bank, and he had jumped from that that rotten log, but the log had broken, and that's what he heard with a crack. And so the jaguar hadn't made it to him. It landed short of where he was sitting. And that was actually his salvation. Then the jaguar took a second leap, jumped up on his back, but did a kind of overjump. Because usually the jaguar likes to grab you right at the back of the neck and just snap your neck. Well, this jaguar had overjumped, so his, his claws were actually on his shoulders and his head, the jaguar's head, was now biting down on the top of Polly's head. 
So he was able to struggle and get into the, the river. And fortunate for him, jaguars don't like to bite underwater. So he'd go underwater. Jaguar's still sitting on his back. He'd go underwater, come up, yell for help. And the jaguar, every time he'd come up, the jaguar's still sitting there, crunched down on the top of his head, but was never able to puncture his skull. And he was calling down, calling, come back up. Finally, his buddies came and chased the jaguar away. Well, by then, he had 21 scars or 21 gashes on his head. And uh, he was still two days' walk away from the, from the other village where there was actually a small clinic at that particular village. And he did finally make it there. And when he came back through, probably about two months later, and so he, he stayed at this village. He stayed at this other village until his head was pretty much healed from the jaguar. From bites. the jaguar bites, yeah. Oh, wow. So, so he came back through, and he made a beeline for our house. It was another five-day walk back through the jungle. And I think this time he didn't stop to fish. <laughs> but anyway, he... No, he, probably not. Yeah. Probably not. So he made a beeline to our house. And he said, he said to me, he said, you know what? You were teaching. And when I left, I knew it was true. I knew that was true. But I did not want to believe. I did not want to believe the gospel. And you know what? He said, I'm convinced that God was gracious to me and God protected my life so that I could believe on Jesus. Mm. And he said, while I was at the other village, I just kept remembering all the things that I had learned. And he said, I've placed my faith in Jesus now and God protected me so that I could be become one of his children and that that to me was was such a thrill to see and and i just thanked god so much for the fact of sparing his life so that he too polly too could be one of god's sons mm. you're gonna see him in heaven you know that okay so he's 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 home now yes actually that's that's the continuation to the story um few years later, actually quite a few years later, probably about 10 years later, uh, because they live in an area where ongoing uh, warfare takes place between villages, his village was attacked by a small group of men, not a huge group, uh, but they came with with spears and, and clubs, and, and they actually speared Polly to death. Mm. Um, and uh, some of his brothers and brothers-in-law had broken arms and stuff because of uh, this small band of, of roving marauders had come and just actually beat up on them really bad, and they speared Polly to death. Mm. And for me, when I heard that news, I wasn't I wasn't in uh, in Vine Village when I got that news. But the first thing that came to my mind was I am so glad that Polly had that encounter with God through also having the encounter with the jaguar. And I am going to see him in heaven. 
and you're going to see them in heaven too. That is amazing. What a story. And oh. it, it's God. It's God all of the way. Yeah. Um, okay, can you give us some final words of advice? There's aspiring church planners out there. There are church planners in the trenches right now, um, learning languages and, and teaching even. Um, just some final words of advice. What does it take, you know, to to see this accomplished? I would say, let me let me speak of two things, two specific things. Uh, the first one I'm going to say is take take the time and the effort to learn the language and the worldview. There's there's shortcuts. I mean, you can find the shortcut uh, just as quickly as as you can. It's it's so easy to find shortcuts and say, no, I'll, I'll use the trade language or, or uh, maybe I can go through a translator or something like that. Those shortcuts in the long run, they're not worth it. There is so much confusion that comes out of using the trade language instead of the heart language of the people. And when we do that, we actually even shortcut our own ministry. We shortcut our own ability to communicate clearly. We shortcut our own ability to actually disciple people. And so I would say at the front end, man, it's tough learning the language and worldview. But put in the hours. Be dedicated because you have that goal in mind. It is the clear communication of the gospel so that people can come to know who God really is in their language. Because this, these are new concepts to them. To use a trade language to communicate concepts that they already know, that's one thing. But to use, to, to try to communicate completely new concepts through a trade language that you are short-circuiting it, the process, and you will be an avenue of syncretism. And the gospel that they will understand will not be the pure gospel of grace. The second thing I would say, keep your eyes on the Lord. Make sure you spend the time necessary with the Lord to keep your heart refreshed in who God is. Because we need to see God as he really is every day. You as a missionary, you're going to need to trust God each and every day because the obstacles are huge. And we are created to love God and to treasure him above all else. And you will only love God and treasure God and and trust God when you see him as he really is. And the third thing in, in that lineup is to obey God joyfully. And all of that flows from, first of all, seeing who God is. So take the time every day to fill your mind with who God is. That and that alone will sustain you for the long haul. Thank you so much, Mr. Jungle. It has been awesome to hear the story of how God has worked through your life in the setting that you were in. And what an awesome, awesome time it's been. Thank you so much. (laughs) 
It's been my privilege. God bless. You've been listening to the Rethink Missions podcast. For more information and episodes, go to wmissions.com. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review and subscribe 